0: to have understanding open up our hearts to what you want to say to us tonight bless this time in the study of your word in jesus name amen there are presently at this time millions of people that are watching and listening to our president in the state of the union address as he is um, addressing our leaders addressing the nation on uh... the challenges and difficulties that are we are facing as a nation and the course of action that he feels that we need to take And as uh, we will hear about the uh, state of the um, nation and what he had to say when we get home in the news tonight and the following days, as we've been going through the book of Deuteronomy, this really has been Moses' State of the Union address to this nation. As we have seen that they're on the east side of the Jordan River. They are ready physically to go into the promised land, but spiritually they needed to get ready. And so we saw that Moses addresses them. He tells them where they had been, their fathers coming out of Egypt to Mount Sinai, and God made a covenant with them, brought the, the law to them as well, and, and they would break that covenant in their disobedience and hardness of heart. So that generation that came out of Egypt would die out there in the wilderness, and now here's a new generation that needs to hear God's word, and what uh, he has to say concerning his law given to them, and it's not only for you, but for future generations. And he renews the covenant with them, as we saw in chapter 28, the blessings and the cursings. And we saw that as Moses, he says, that when you go into the promised land, there's going to be challenges. There's going to be uh, giants that you're going to have to do battle with. There is um, the land that you're going to possess there is um those inhabitants that are going to be driven out but if you do these things i'm going to bless you and as you stay committed to me you're going to see my hand upon you and you will possess the land and you will see that i will bring that continual blessing from generation to generation as long as you're following after me If you don't, if you forsake me and go after idols, then here are the curses. And we saw it spelled out very clearly, very specifically there in chapter 28. And so that would confirm the covenant with them once again. And then we saw that Moses was told that, Moses, that your ministry is now done. You're 120 years old. Moses has been ministering faithfully for 40 years. And you're going to be gathered to your people. You're going to die on Mount Nebo. But as that is going to take place. First, you're going to commission Joshua to be the new leader. And so we saw in chapter 31 that there was um, the uh, inauguration, if you would, the uh, commissioning of Joshua as the new leader, as Moses and Joshua were called, there at the t- uh, tabernacle meeting there in the middle of the camp. And the camp is now going to disperse. Now they're going to go in And you're going to hear very little about the tabernacles. No more is going to be the pillar of cloud that led them through the wilderness. No more is it going to be manna that's going to be falling from heaven. But here, as Joshua is being inaugurated as the new leader, Moses was told that there is going to come a time when the nation is going to rebel and they're going to forsake me, and they're going to go after other gods. So here's a song I want you to give to the children of Israel. Teach them this song, and that's what it's going to talk about, their rebellion against God. And so Moses is prophesying, he's predicting when the time is going to come, when they will turn away from the Lord and forsake him, and they will go into captivity. And again, with Moses being the one who had a shepherd's heart, I'm sure when he heard that, that broke his heart. How much does it break our hearts when we hear of somebody that they know the Lord, they, they know the word of God, but yet there's disobedience in their life. And when we hear that, and when we see that, we get very concerned, and our hearts become very heavy for them. Well, Moses had a heavy heart, I'm sure, for these three million people, that God says that the time's going to come. When they're going to rebel against me. And so you need to teach them this song. And so that's what Moses would do. As we read the last verse of chapter 31, in verse 30, then Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel the words of this song until they were ended. Now chapter 32. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as raindrops on the tender herb, and as showers on the grass. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. And so the introduction to this song, if we divide it up, here we see that Moses is is calling for attention and in ascribing the greatness of God. And we need to remember the greatness of God in our own lives. He is the rock, there is no other. And we are to, to put our trust and faith and build our lives upon the rock Jesus Christ. And we know that Jesus said that wise is the man that hears these sayings of minds and does them is the one who builds his house upon the firm foundation. We need to build our lives upon him because he is the rock, the rock of our salvation. And if we build our lives upon anything else or looking to trust in anyone else, it will crumble away. Jesus is the rock. I couldn't help but think about when I I read that, that he's the rock. And all throughout Scripture, you can go through the Psalms, and you can see how David talks about how he is our rock, the rock of our salvation. And we know that it would be Nebuchadnezzar that had a dream, didn't he? And he had a dream of the different kingdoms that would come along, uh, the Gentile kingdoms from Daniel's time up until the second coming of Jesus Christ. But in that interpretation that he gave of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, that when that image of man's kingdom was described to Nebuchadnezzar, then the rock came, didn't it? And it smacked the image in his feet and, and man's kingdoms or that image crumbled and that rock grew. Well, it speaks of the kingdom of God. So we are to, to remember that we build our lives, we put our trust in the rock Jesus Christ, and that his kingdom is going to last forever. And so he is the rock. His work is perfect. We may not always understand the work that he's doing, but we can say, you know what? Lord, just as it is declared in the book of Revelation, that righteous and true are your judgments, righteous and true are your decisions, O Lord. And they are true, and they are righteous. His ways are just, he is truth. And he is upright. So these attributes that uh, are ascribed to God, we need to remember in our own lives. And so they would forget about that. And so it sets up the rest of the song, verse 5. They have corrupted themselves. They are not his children because of their blemish, a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who bought, brought, bought you, that is? Has he not made you and established you? And so the accusation that... It's an accusation of a child that has forsaken uh, his father. They have corrupted themselves. It is the Lord that has established you and made you. So their sin is going to be described here as we continue in in this song. Really, the Lord is saying to them that it's so foolish. I mean, it is foolish. Look about and think about how God has provided for us and what he has done for us. He has brought us out of Egypt, out of the world. That He has freed us from the penalty of sin and from the bondage of sin. He desires to bring us into that abundant life, that life of blessing, and, and that life of just experience that victorious Christian living. That's what the book of Joshua is going to picture when we move into the book of Joshua next week. And, and yet, if we are not careful, we can be foolish and so unwise in the light of what God has done for us, who He is, when we pursue other things when we don't prioritize him. And that's the indictment here against the children of Israel. They wouldn't remember what he had done for them. And that's one of the things that you see, that when we now are going to go into the book of Joshua next week, and I promise we're going to finish here these three chapters, we're going to move on. But the book of Deuteronomy ends the first five books of the Old Testament, which is called the Pentateuch or called the books of the law, the books of Moses. The uh, Jewish people call it the Torah. And when we go into the book of Joshua, that begins another section of the Old Testament called the historical books. It goes from Joshua all the way to Esther. And then you have the poetic books of Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Then you have the books of the prophets from Isaiah to Malachi. But in the historical books, we're going to see their history. We're going to see, again, that chapter 28 sets the stage for their history. When they followed after the Lord, like in the book of Joshua, we will see they had great victory and blessing. When they forsook the Lord, there was the cursings and captivity that they would go under. But when the prophets came along and would, would plead, that turn back to the Lord, they would say over and over again, don't you remember what the Lord has done for you? And how foolish it is to go after those idols because those idols are not going to help you. And that's what the rest of the song is going to be describing. Verse 7, remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you, your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in a wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him and instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. In verse 12, so the Lord alone led him, and there was no foreign God with him. He made him ride the heights of the earth, that he might eat the produce of the fields. He made him draw honey from the rock, and oil from the flintery rock, curds from the cattle, milk of the flock, and with fat of lambs, and the rams of the breed of Bashan, and goats. With the choicest wheat he drank wine, the blood of, of the grapes, and so here uh, again god 's past faithfulness to Israel, we need to remember god 's past faithfulness to us as well. He has been so good to us and faithful, and He wants to continue to do that in our lives, just as He led them, protected them, and watched them, and he heard a poetic language as an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up. Um, he would say elsewhere in the book of Deuteronomy that I carried you in my arms through the wilderness. And the Lord desires to show that tender mercy towards us as well to provide for us and protect us because he is good and faithful. You keep looking to him and remember his past faithfulness and goodness in your life. In verse 15, but Jezu run that's another name for the house of Israel or uh, the children of Israel grew fat and kicked and, grew, and you grew fat and you grew thick and you are a beast. Then he forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods, with the abominations they provoked him to anger. Verse 17, they sacrificed the demons, not to God. To gods they did not know, the new gods, new arrivals, that your fathers did not fear. Of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful. And have forgotten the God who fathered you, now you might recall that, as we've gone through the book of Deuteronomy, that the Lord warned them repeatedly that when you go into the promised land and you are blessed, you start producing the land and you're being blessed and and you start to prosper don't forget about me and there can be a tendency in our lives that when things are going good, when we're experiencing good times or blessings, that we can have a tendency in our human nature and in our sinful nature. To forget about the Lord and we are warned not to (laughs) remember that every good gift comes from above and also remember that the Lord wants to continue to bless you continue to provide for you so never get to the point uh, where you are going through a good time or um, where things are quiet in your life or you're experiencing blessing that that don't go the direction where you have a tendency where you start to forget about the Lord and that's what happened to the children of Israel. They were warned not to do that. They did forget about the Lord. And again, the prophets would come on the scene and said, don't you remember, don't you remember, don't you remember what the Lord has done for you. He's given you the land. He's blessed you. And we need to always keep that in mind, that the Lord is the one, that every good gift from above comes from him. And he's the one that has done such a wonderful work in our lives. So when things do go well, um, we want to be one's, that every single day we stay close to him and are thankful to him for what he has done in our lives. In verse 19, And when the Lord saw it, he burned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. And I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. They have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols. But I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. Verse 22, For fire is kindled in my anger, and shall burn to the lowest hell. It shall consume the earth with her increase, and set on fire the foundations of the mountain. I will heap disasters on them. I will uh, spend my arrows on them, and they shall be wasted with hunger devoured by pestilence and bitter destruction. I will also send against them the teeth of beasts with the poison of serpents of the dust. Verse 25. The sword shall destroy outside. There shall be terror within. For the young man and virgin, the nursing child with the man of gray hairs, I would have said I will dash them in pieces. I will make the memory of them to cease from among men. Had I not feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversary should misunderstand Lest they should, our hand is high, and it is not the Lord who has done all this. And so, again, God's reaction to their rebellion is that He would remove His hand of blessing, and the hand of judgment would come upon them. In verse 28, for they are a nation void of counsel, nor is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider the latter end. And verse 28 caught my attention here, that they are a nation void of counsel nor is there understanding in them. Again, as we think about our nation and what's being addressed, you know, I fear for our nation. I fear the direction that we're going spiritually. I fear the direction we're going uh, as well as the nation in in other matters economically and, and other things and challenges that we face. And as I read this, that they are a nation void of counsel, nor is there understanding in them, it reminds me so much of what Hosea declared to the nation when they were in rebellion. He said that there's no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land, and my people are destroyed by a lack of knowledge. We know that Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34 tells us that righteousness exalts a nation, but is a reproach um, to to any people um, when they forsake the Lord. So a nation that righteousness is there, a recognition of God and a belief of God, such as our nation was founded upon. And for so many generations that there was an understanding that God has blessed this nation and a recognition of our need for God in our lives and as a nation. But we're losing that more and more, aren't we? There is still a battle that's going on. And the battle is fought with prayer and and, and serving the Lord and being a light to others and being where God wants you to be. But I pray that we would be ones, that we would continue to lift up our nation and to pray for our leaders, that we would be ones, that we would uh, continually be a light wherever we can, and that we as a church, that we would stand for righteousness, so righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And so we need to be ones that are praying continually because if we are a nation that we lack knowledge and a recognition of God, then that's going to be our downfall. And that seems to be as we see the, the trend more and more is, is that we are declining spiritually, away, farther away from God and morally. And it is concern. We see it all around it, isn't it? So may we be ones that are committed to prayer. So we pray that there would be a true turning to God in our nation and with our leaders. And so here he's warning them that a nation that there is no knowledge, there's, there's, there's no understanding, there's uh, um, ignoring of God's counsel, that uh, there is consequences for that. In verse 30, how could one chase a 1,000 or two put, uh, put 10,000 to flight? Unless the rock had sold them, and the Lord had surrendered them. For the rock is not like our rock, even our enemies themselves being judges. For their vine is of the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is of poison of serpents and the cruel venom of cobras. Is this not laid up in, in store with me, sealed up among my treasures? Vengeance is mine, and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time, for today their calamity is at hand, and the things that come hasten upon them. And so here, the battle um, that God wants to fight for us, nothing can compare to God. And again, in their history, um, they would turn away from the Lord to idols. And the Lord would say to them over and over again, those idols that you're turning to, they have never helped you truly. In your time of trouble, in your time when the enemy is coming against you, in a time of drought, in a time of locust infestation, did those idols ever help you when you called out to them? And we need to remember that it's the Lord that is the one that can truly help us in our lives and the challenges and difficulties that we face. But so oftentimes we will turn to other things. Remember that it was Paul that said, In Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and, and knowledge. And we need to go to him and don't be cheated by the world's philosophy, traditions of men and and basic principles of the world, empty deceit. But turn to Christ. Those things are of Christ. Turn to him to be your help in your life. And know that he desires to be there to help us. And in the time of trouble, we can trust him and stand on his promises. So here he's saying to them that they didn't do that. Um, Those idols... Um, they didn't help them at all in their time of trouble because they had forgotten the the Lord. In verse 36, For the Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there there is no one remaining bond or free. He will say, Where are their gods, the rock in which they sought refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices, who drank the wine of their drink offerings? Let them rise and help you. And be your refuge. Now see that I, even I, am He, and there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. For I raise my hand to heaven and say, As I live forever. If I wet my glittering sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will render vengeance, vengeance, that is, to my enemies, and repay those who hate me. Verse 42, I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh, with the blood of the slain and the captives, from the heads of the leaders of the enemy. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provoke atonement for his land and his people. So again, he says, I am the Lord, there is none beside me. I am the one, not those idols that you turn to, but I am the one that I kill and I make alive, and I wound and I heal. And there's none that can deliver me, you know, deliver from my hand. And I am the Lord, there is no other. Isaiah would use that phraseology over and over again in his book. I am the Lord, there is no other. I am the Lord, there is no other. And that's what he's saying here in this song, In verse 44, So Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, spoke all the words of this song, in the hearing of the people. Moses finished speaking all these words to all Israel, and he said to them, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe, all the words of this law. For it is not a futile thing for you, because it is your life. And by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over to Jordan to possess. You know, Moses here, he's, he's trying to encourage the, the people. He's trying to encourage Israel. It's not a futile or a vain thing to keep these words. One of the deceptions of the enemy and one of the deceptions of the world is to get you and I to believe that it's a vain thing, it's a futile thing to serve and obey God, to live by his word. Ah, oh, Why would you want to do that? The enemy will come along and try to deceive you. You don't have to live after God. Just do whatever it is that you want to in life. Go after these things, the worldly pleasures, the world's ways. And here the Lord says something that's very important to you and to me. It's not a vain thing to keep these words. It's not a vain thing, a futile thing for you and I to say, Lord, I want to live after you and live in godly wisdom. And again, godly wisdom is not just knowing the word of God, but applying it in your life. It is a blessing. That's one of the things that we have learned very clearly from the book of Deuteronomy. There is blessing in obedience. There is blessing in loving the Lord and desiring to walk after him. And there is consequences, negative repercussions that take place. And and there's all kinds of bad things that take place when we walk after the world and we ignore God's word in our life. So here he's trying to encourage them. It's up to you if you're going to live. So it's not a vain thing to take the word of God and apply it in your life to live after the word. In verse 48, then the Lord spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, Go up to this mountain of Abraham, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, across from Jericho. View the land of Canaan, which I had give to the children of Israel as a possession. And die on the mountain which you ascend, and be gathered to your people, just as Aaron your brother died on Mount Hor." and was gathered to his people, because you have transgressed against me among the children of Israel at the water of Meribah Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin, because you did not hallow me in the midst of the children of Israel. Yet you shall see the land before you, though you shall not go there into the land which I am given the children of Israel. So Moses, you're going to go this day up on Mount Nebo. You'll be gathered with your people. And so Moses here in chapter 33 is going to give his last blessing now to the children of Israel. When we go over chapter 33. He's going to bless each tribe, and it's going to be somewhat similar to what Jacob did in blessing his children before he died, the 12 sons that he had, being the 12 patriarchs to the to the 12 tribes of Israel. So it's kind of interesting to to see the similarity here uh, with Moses' final blessing. He's going to be blessing them. He's going to be prophesying over them. Uh, to compare it with what Jacob said in Genesis chapter 49. But we read in chapter 33, now this is the blessing in which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of saints. From his right hand came a fiery law for them. Yes, he loves the people. All his saints are in your hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. Moses commanded a law for us, a heritage of the congregation of Jacob. And he was king in Jezeron when the leaders of the people were gathered and all the tribes of Israel together. So again, in his final blessing, God revealed himself to you guys there at Mount Sinai. There he brought the law with a multitude of saints or a reference probably to angels. And so here was a, uh, we know that back in the book of Exodus, when the Lord showed himself to the people to, to give them the law and to bring the covenant to them that he was going to make with them, that the mountain shook, it was on fire, and there was thunders and there was lightnings, and the people were terrified. And the book of Hebrews tells us that Moses was terrified as well. It was an awesome, incredible sight. So Moses here in his final blessings, he's he's talking about that how came the fiery law for them, and he would say as he um, you received your words, Moses commanded the law for us. And then in verse six, we see he begins to bless each of the tribes. Let Reuben live and not die, nor let his men be few. So here Moses blesses, uh, he praying for Reuben to live to grow. To live and to grow. Now remember that Reuben is going to be on the east side of the Jordan River. It's the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh that are going to settle there on the east side of the Jordan River. The men are going to go in and help fight, take uh, the the promised land, and, and conquer the land of those tribes. And then they will go back and settle with their families. But those are the allotments given to Reuben and to Gad half of the tribe of Manasseh on the east side of the Jordan River. And so he's praying for them that you may live and grow. It's my prayer for us that we would truly grow in the love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And as we do, we're going to live. I mean, we're going to live the way that God wants us to live. And it's the best way of living. And I hope that we have that in our hearts. You know what? The best way to live is to live after the Lord to just grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ, walk in that newness of life. And that's when you're going to experience life the way it was meant to be. Now, it's interesting that Jacob here to Reuben, Reuben was the oldest of Jacob's sons. He said that this tribe would not excel. There would be no prophet. There would be no judge. There would be no king that would come from this tribe. And again, they were on the east side. Now, you remember when we saw this in the book of Numbers, that they came to the east side of Jordan River. It was the Gadites and the Reubenites that said, hey, we kind of like it here in this hill country. We like to have our cattle here. And Moses was first upset about it, but the Lord said, you know what, Moses, go back and tell them that they can settle here, but their men need to go in and help fight uh, to take the, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land that I've given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the promised land. But they were more concerned about what it looked like and settling on the east side. And they never really possessed that area that God wanted them to possess. My point is simply this, that God has so much for us to possess in our lives. The promises that he has for us, the abundant life that he desires for us to experience as we trust in him, as we just go and be in that place where he wants us to be. But oftentimes we don't quite get to experience all the blessings perhaps that we could or should because we're not going fully into the place he wants us to go. We get more concerned about our cattle than we do about our calling, about our commitment to the Lord. You see, there's so many distractions. And so they didn't grow in a way perhaps that they could have or should have. And so that was told of Jacob to, to, to the, the Reubenites that you're not going to grow. Um, Because they were on that east side. And then when the captivity would come from Assyria, guess who was the first one picked off? They were. They were picked off. So we want to make sure, and my prayer is for my life and for us, that, Lord, we want to possess all that you have for us to move where you want us to move, to stand on your promises, to experience the full blessings that you have as we just walk by faith. And so verse 8, in Levi, said, Let your thumb and your arm be with your Holy One, whom you tested at Massa, and with whom you contended at the waters of Meribah, who says of his father and mother, I have not seen them, nor did acknowledge his brothers, nor know his own children, for they have observed your word and kept your covenant. And they shall teach Jacob your judgment and Israel your law, and they shall put incense before you and hold burnt sacrifice on your altar. Bless his substance, Lord, and accept the works of his hand. Strike the loins of those who rise against him and of those who hate him, that they... Rise not again. So here the tribe of Levi, remember, they're the ones with the priest, the Levites ministering at the tabernacle. They're the ones that are going to be um, ministering to the people, the law of God. They're the ones that are going to be burning incense in the temple, in the tabernacle. They're the ones that are going to be doing the sacrifices. Also, it would be um, Jacob that would say that they would be scattered, and they would because, remember, when they go into the promised land, that there's going to be 48 cities of the Levites, right? And that's where the Levites are going to live. They're not going to give an allotment of land, but they're going to be spread throughout so they can minister to the people, the word of God, 48 cities of the Levites where they're going to live. And so verse 12 of Benjamin, he said the beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him who shelters him all the day long and he shall dwell between his shoulders. So Benjamin was that small tribe uh, that was part of the house of Judah. And um, and Judah in verse 7 was, I don't know if I read verse 7 when I think about it, but Judah, read verse 7 real quick. But verse 7, Judah was, of course, the, the tribe down south that made up most of the house of Judah. And then that's where Messiah would come, was from Judah. Benjamin would also, verse 12, be a part of the southern house of Judah. And they also, Jacob describes Benjamin as a ravages wolf. In other words, that there would be fierce fighting men that would come from the tribe of Benjamin. And we're going to see that in the book of Judges. Also, Saul, the first king of Israel, came from where? He was from the tribe of Benjamin. In the New Testament, who else was from the tribe of Benjamin? Paul the Apostle, wasn't he? He tells us that he was from the tribe of Benjamin. Verse 13, And Joseph, he said, Blessed of the Lord is his land, with the precious things of heaven, with the dew, and the deep line beneath, with the precious fruits of the sun, and precious produce of the month's, with the best things of the ancient mountains, with the precious things of the everlasting hills, with the precious things of the earth in his fullness, in the f- favor of him who dwelt in the bush. And let the blessing come on the head of Joseph and on the crown in the head of him, who was separate from his brothers. Again, talking about how Joseph would be taken off into Egypt separate from his brothers. His glory is like the firstborn bull, and his horns like the horns of the wild ox. Together with them, he shall push the peoples to the ends of the earth. They are ten thousands of Ephraim, and they are, are the thousands of Manasseh. And so the tribe of Joseph, consisting of his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and they would be blessed numerically. Verse 18, And Zebulon, he said, Rejoice, Zebulon, in your going out, and Issachar in your tents. They shall call the peoples of the mountain. And they shall offer sacrifices of righteousness, for they shall partake of the abundance of the seas and the treasures hidden in the sand. So Zebulon and Issachar, they were up in the Galilee region up north. Genesis chapter 49 says that they would dwell uh, by the heaven of the sea. And here... We see the abundance of the seas, what Moses would make reference to. This, the Mediterranean Sea and the Sea of Galilee is a reference to the seas. Verse 20, And of Gad, he said, "Blesses is he who enlarges Gad, who dwells as a lion and tears the arm and the crown of his head. He provided the first part for himself because the lawgiver's portion was reserved there. He came with his heads of the people. He ministered to the justice of the Lord and his judgments with Israel. So the tribe of Gad is interesting. Second Chronicles, or excuse me, First Chronicles, chapter 12, verse 14, tells us that some of David's fierce fighters and mighty men came from this tribe um, of the Gadites on the east side of the Jordan River. And then verse 22, and of Dan, he said, Dan is a lion's whelp he shall leap from Bashan. Now the tribe of Dan is an interesting tribe. When we go to the book of Joshua, we're going to see when they're given their allotment, they're given that that piece of land just west of Jerusalem over to the Mediterranean Sea. So the tribe of Dan was there, and of course the Philistines would come and battle against the children of Israel constantly. And so who was the first that would have to go to battle? It was the tribe of Dan. We see that It would be Samson in the book of Judges. He was from the tribe of Dan, wasn't he? And you can uh, read about Samson. We know his story and Delilah and all of that and how uh, he messed around with sin and and he got his eyes plucked out. But it would be the tribe of Dan that was in that difficult spot. And God wanted to bless them and use them, but they were ones that they um, just didn't want that difficulty. So in Judges chapter 18, what we're going to see is the tribe of Dan moves up north, and they move way up north at the base of Mount Hermon, there at the headwaters of the Jordan River, and there the tribe of Dan would be used to plunge the house of Israel into idol worship. And the tribe of Dan was a problematic tribe, because it brought idolatry and amos chapter 8 verse 14 tells us that dan became the center of idol worship you can go to dan today if you go to israel with us and we will take you to where dan is and where the temple that was built there by jeroboam dedicated to the golden calf so dan instead of staying where god wanted them to stay thought it's going to be a lot easier if we move up here up where it's very beautiful, it's very nice, uh, it's more peaceful up there, and they would move up there. But yet they would, you know, be full of idolatry and became the center of idol worship there to the house of Israel after the nation split um, during the reign of Rehoboam. So they were a problematic uh, kind of um, tribe uh, that, and and that's the reference here. He shall leap from Bashan. Bashan's up north there. And of Naphtali, he said, O oh, Naphtali, satisfied with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord, possess the West and the South. And so here, uh, speaking of Naphtali, way up by the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus spent most of his, his earthly ministry. Genesis chapter 49, verse 21, Jacob speaks of this tribe speaking godly words, a words of beauty, a light that has come. And it speaks of Jesus, who would spend his earthly ministry up there, most of his time up there. You know, we can be a blessing and a light to others as we speak the words of Christ and the word of God to others. And in verse 24, And of Asher, he said, Asher is most blessed of sons. Let him be favored by his brothers and let him dip his foot in oil. Your sandals shall be iron and bronze and as your days, so shall your strength be. And so here is Asher um, that is mentioned. And it was up there along the Mediterranean Sea, up there where Mount Carmel is. (laughs) Uh, where Haifa is today, very beautiful up in that area. And um, it's interesting here that there's a reference here, let him dip his foot in oil. Some have said that perhaps this is prophetic, that it's speaking that oil's going to be struck in, in Israel up in that area somewhere. We do know that right off the coast there that they have found a very large natural gas field just recently. But some believe that they're going to strike oil, that this is perhaps speaking of that. Or it could be speaking of, as you go up to Mount Carmel, on the side of the road, there's all kinds of stands selling olive oil because of the olive trees. So it could be just a reference to that. Or could it be that they're going to strike oil? I don't know. Time's going to tell. But they have struck natural gas at a huge field right off the coast there where Asher is. And in verse 26, There is none like the God of Jezerun, who rides to heavens to help you, and in his excellency on the clouds. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you, and will say, destroy. Then Israel shall dwell in safety. The fountain of Jacob alone, the land of grain and new wine, the heavens also shall also drop dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall submit to you and you shall tread down their high places. One of the things that we see, whenever that they get indicted, they're told this is what's going to happen. Whenever they're told of, of what's going to happen in their disobedience and you're going to be going through very serious consequences and captivity and all of this, the Lord never just left them there without any hope. And here he says the day is going to come where Israel is going to dwell in safety. Of course, ultimately being fulfilled when the Lord comes back and establishes his kingdom. And so all the time, the Lord over and over again, even though this heavy message that, yeah, you're going to go through difficult times because of your disobedience, he never left them without any hope. You know, it's true with you and me. That even in those times, if we're, walking in disobedience in those times where we stray away, in those times where we sin, we can go back to the Lord in repentance and know that His love remains for us and His forgiveness is there and His promises that He is there to, to, to restore and to be there for you and for you to experience His blessing. But it takes a turning to Him and submitting to Him and not going that direction any longer. To repent, that's what repentance means. Quit going that direction, quit doing those things, and turn to the Lord. He never leaves us without any hope. And I pray that, that we would always remember that the Lord is there with His arms of love for us, to turn to Him in those times where we're disobedient or we sin. In those times where we stray away, a loving Father desires for us to come back. He never leaves us without any hope. Here He gives hope to them, even in the midst of their disobedience. Chapter 34, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pishka, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan all Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, the land of Judah as far as the Western Sea, the south and the plain of the Valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. So Moses goes out to Mount Nebo. It's right there on the east side of the Jordan River. And it's um, been there. I've stood on top of Mount Nebo. And when you, you look, all you can see is the Jordan Valley there in the Dead Sea. And usually you can't see a whole lot because of the evaporation coming out of the Dead Sea. But here, Moses is being shown the promised land supernaturally. He's shown all the south and up north and um, over to the Mediterranean Sea. Um, He is shown the land supernaturally. In verse 4, this is the last thing that the Lord is recorded that says to him, this is the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. Interesting. At the end of Moses' life, it's recorded, Moses, the servant of the Lord. You would think after 40 years of this man, the ministry that he had, there would be some kind of exalted thing said about him, wouldn't there? A servant of the Lord. And I think that's a wonderful thing to be known for, just a servant of the Lord. You know, all of us can be considered that as we just yield to the Lord and as we walk with Him, as we're just used of the Lord. You and I are called to just be simple servants of the Lord, just as Moses was. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. It's interesting, the Lord buried him we do have an interesting verse there in that little epistle of Jude right at the end of our Bibles, right before the book of Revelation, that it says that Michael and the devil would, um, the Michael and the archangel and and the devil um, were wrestling or fighting over the body of Moses. And you think, what was that all about? And there are some thoughts there that as Michael contended with the devil over the body of Moses that why would they be fighting over the body of Moses? The thought is this, that perhaps Revelation chapter 11, in the tribulation period when the two witnesses come, that the two witnesses are Elijah and Moses. So something going on there that we don't fully understand, but that may be an explanation for that. But Moses was buried by the Lord. No one knows where his grave is to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him, so the children of Israel heeded him, as did as the Lord had commanded Moses. But since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face, and all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all his servants, and in all his land, and by all that mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. So, Father, we thank you that we have finished this section of the Old Testament. Lord, we see that Moses, the servant of the Lord, was faithful to you. Lord, I pray that tonight, that as we just spend a few minutes in worship, that we would just settle in our hearts the lesson that we have learned from this book, that there is blessing in walking with you. And that's how we experience life, truly life, the way that is meant to be lived, to just be free to live for you.